Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I love Mike Ayala. This episode was one of the, the just such an amazing entrepreneurial story. Badass entrepreneur, just a down home, amazing human being. Love hanging out with Mike Ayala. Um, and I just was so happy to bring him on the show. Got to spend time with him on his show, brought him on our show, and just really learned a lot about how he thinks about designing businesses and designing his life and really how he's used that to leverage to create just such such an epic entrepreneurial life and such an epic investment portfolio great episode stay tuned hope you enjoy it what's up everybody welcome to today's episode of the greatness machine i'm your host darius mishazde and boy do we have an amazing guest my main man mike ayala is in the house what's up mike dude i am so excited to be here and you know i'm a fan of the show too and man your lineup has been awesome lately so i'm i'm honored Oh man, thank you so much. Like the team's been been killing it and Noah's been killing it and we've been we've been working hard to 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 bring bring some badasses on the show and and I'll tell you what, today's no different, baby. <laughs> we got another badass on the show. My main man here, dude. It's so yeah, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this. I know um do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping uh, uh for those listeners who are new to the show and then we could dive right in cuz we got so much to talk about in the next 55 minutes. Does that work? Yeah. I'm here for you, man. Oh, love it. Uh, so l- listen, uh, listeners who are new to the show, the Greatness Machine is about two things. People living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. I love that like underdog origin story. So we're going to be diving into that with my main man, Mike here. So how do I know Mike? Uh, I, I, this is a kind of a cool story. So I met Mike at GoBundance Champions event. He's a member of GoBundance, uh, which is a really badass organization, uh, which works with entrepreneurs who are trying to live an abundant life. And they're champions group is their high net worth group. It's like an investment group 
uh, they get together. And we met during COVID. It was like October 2020. Uh, they asked me to go keynote. It was my first big keynote during COVID on my book, The Core Value Equation. And um, I was supposed to speak, I think, on like Friday, call it. And Thursday was day one. So I show up on day one. And, and they do this thing, which I don't know if they've done it before, but they asked a couple people or at least one person in particular, Mike, to, to, to basically write his eulogy. And, and, uh, and I was so moved by Mike's eulogy. He wrote a eulogy to his family, like as if he was, you know, passed away, like about, you know, his life and what he would want from them and what he would hope to accomplish. And I literally was so moved by Mike's eulogy of himself, which is, I've done, I've now since brought that into organizations that I'm like a part of. And I'm like, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, that I totally redid my entire presentation. And so my presentation was supposed to be just about my book, The Core Value Equation. And I decided I totally threw a monkey wrench in it. And I gave my whole family's origin story, which is this really insane story, a really emotional story. And, um, and right then I was like, I like that guy. I want to get to know him better. And here we are, what, two years later, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. And that your dude, your story, your story was so powerful. Um, it's amazing. I haven't shared it. You know, I don't know if I, I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, maybe I'll write a book about it because it is kind of a crazy story. But there's a, a TV series on HBO right now called Hostages, which is about the Iranian revolution, which is half my story. That's my dad's story. And, I, and, like, and I was like, holy shit. Like I was in my mom's stomach when that was going down, like a few blocks from my house, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I recommend that to anybody. Hostages on HBO if you want to like, if you really want to learn about like, some historical shit about the United States and about Iran. It's, 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 you'll, you'll have a different perspective about why the Iran and the United States have bad blood. You'll be like, Oh, the United States did some fucked up stuff. Like I, I didn't know that, like some really screwed up stuff. Um, so a- anyway, uh, I, but I'm, I'm pro American, of course, being an American, uh, but still when we, we do bad stuff sometimes. Um, so yeah, that, that's how we met, man. And, um, and, and look, listen for listeners who are, not, who are new to Mr. Mike Ayala, you're going to be learning a lot about him in the next, you know, 50 minutes here. So, uh, Mike is a top freedom fighter. We're going to talk about freedom fighting, investing, speaking, podcasting, badass entrepreneur, Inc. 5000, top, top uh, in 2009, um, co-founder of Four Peaks Partner, Capital Partners, which they do real estate investment. Um, and just all around badass, man. Like I love your podcast and you're the founder of Investing for Freedom amongst the many other things. But man, um, welcome to the show, brother. I'm so pumped to have you here. Dude, I'm so I'm so happy to be here, and you know I'm I'm a huge fan of yours too, and and just what you've done is inspiring. I'm I'm like I'm nipping at your heels all the time, like you know you, I I was like Ink twenty five hundred, you were like Ink forty nine, and so I'm yeah I, like I'm chasing you, man. Oh, dude, it's you know what I've learned that and and you probably talk about freedom. Um, I'm reading this book right now called uh, The Psychology of Money. Have you ever read that book by Martin Housel? I never read it before, but, um, dude, I've been doing shit like that where I compete with people in my mind and like, and I know you're saying it in jest, um, but I decided to fuck it. I'm not competing with anybody anymore. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired of it. It's t- dude, at 40. What are, you, are we about the same age? I'm 44. How old are you? I turned 44 yesterday. Dude, welcome to 44. I'll be 45 next year. But, but you know, I think at around 40 something, you start to be like, what, what am I exactly do? What game am I playing? Yeah. You know, 
Because yeah. I think like, especially like to, to be successful in business and entrepreneurship, there has to be some competitiveness in your gut to make you go and, you know, bust ass to go make shit happen. And, um, but yeah, man, I, you know, what's funny is I'm, I'm equally as competitive. I see like you have so, like, I'm always like, oh, I like what he's doing. Like I'm, I'm we're, we're mutually like, um, competing or not competing, maybe mutually like enjoying each other's work, like from yeah. afar. <laughs> you um, know, I love, so I was just listening to your episode about constraints and I think there's something in this too, though, because, you know, you said something there and I relate so much to it. I, I jokingly, but also not jokingly said that, you know, I'm nipping at your heels and man, when you can deconstruct what somebody else has done. And I loved what you said in that entire episode about constraints, when you can deconstruct what somebody else has done, if somebody else has gone ahead, so, you know, some people would look at it as competition. I look at it as deconstruction and like mm. somebody that's a badass like Darius. And, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying about, you know, life and what you built and the business you built. And it, man, if I can just watch what you did, there's no reason for me to reinvent the wheel. So part of it is jokingly saying that, you know, it's, it's competitive, but also at the same time, it's deconstruction. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, I love that, that this idea of deconstructing because, and you just put into words what I do. I do that as well. Naturally as I'll look at someone did, did and, I, and I'll start re, trying to reverse engineer it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I get stuck. I'm like, how the hell did they do that? I, I can't figure it out, you know? Um, and that pisses me off and makes me want to go figure it out even more. <laughs> um, but on that note, you know, like I'd love to take, you know, on, on the greatness machine, we like to talk about origin stories, you know, what makes people great. And and I think a lot of times people might look at like your life and, and, you know, you're a person that's like done a really great job of building, you know, a lot of freedom for yourself, a lot of passive income, you know, a lot of businesses that have done really well. And, and, and they might be like, man, Mike has it made. He's got these like, like, you know, matrimony mastermind and he's just like living the dream he's got these awesome kids and and you know it's like kind of like that iceberg um you know uh it's that iceberg poster where it's like this is what you see and here's what really happened it's all this shit that's like three miles deep in the ocean um i'd love for you to take us back and tell us a little bit about your background and your life story because i really think that life story kind of knowing that context really helps us i guess relate and understand how we can then take that and do some of the things that you've done but yeah take us back tell us a little bit of your origin story you know I'll dig into that. But the thing that I want to say on what you just said too, about the iceberg and, you know, we live in this day of social media and everybody makes it look easy and great. And I think one of the biggest things, when I look at people, like even the amazing humans that you have on your show and, and their greatness, like, man, when somebody makes something look easy, it's probably because they are in their grace. And so I think, you know, that's kind of the theme when I look backwards through my life. And even one of the things that I've been pondering lately is, is just within that, like if we're if we're flowing, I, you know, I told you off camera, like I've had probably the hardest five weeks of my life and on the outside, nobody would know that. Right. But it's just part of that is because, you know, I just think that there's like a supernatural grace on us when we're flowing in our gifts and the things that we love to do that. And so anyway, I'll digress. Um, going backwards. And this is part of what I think, you know, you and I probably, you know, really connected on, uh, when, when we go back and we're honest about our story, I mean, I, I grew up with, uh, I haven't seen my real dad since I was eight and, um, although our, you know, our paths took, you know, different directions with our fathers, I think a lot of our original story, you know, and I think a lot of people's original story goes back to that. I think a lot of the reason why we do what we do is, is because of our upbringing and, you know, some of us either have a chip on our shoulder or else we've gotten over it and, and we move through it. Well, I chose, even though my dad was, you know, he was an alcoholic, he was abusive, he was in and out of my life. 
I chose to not wear that as a chip on my shoulder and, and move past through it, you know, and, and I'm a, I'm a naturally forgiving person. I've, I, I don't harbor a lot of, you know, resentment from my childhood, but it was a tough childhood. And I grew up without, you know, a dad there. I grew up without things. I mean, going to McDonald's was like this treat for me, like every, you know, three or four months, my grandma would take me to McDonald's, those kind of things. And so that's part of what drives me today and has continued to drive me. You know, I decided I was going to be a present husband. I was going to be the best husband I could be. doesn't mean I'm perfect. Um, be a present father. My, my kids are now 22, 20 and 18. Um, you know, we started having kids when we were early. And by the way, I started a business at the age of 24 and, and that was the business that was on the fastest growing companies in America. And so, you know, Karen and I were constantly navigating as these young adults, like trying to figure out how to be business owners and be present. And I can proudly say that, you know, one of the things that I always refused to do was, was put, I shouldn't say always refused to do, cause there was a couple times I got out of balance and, and life will kind of slap you when you do. Um, but we chose to keep the family first and my kids have seen the world. Um, we built successful businesses. We invested along the way. And that's part of what I'm really about at investing for freedom is trying to help others build the same thing. Cause I think a lot of people believe that you it's either either, or you can have a successful business, you can have successful investment careers, or you can have a successful family and a life. And I think you can have all of it. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you want to dive into, but that's kind of like the overview of, of all of it. I love it, man. It, you know, so I, yeah, we interviewed Larry Yatch, whose who's episode will come out before this one comes out, who is a for, former Navy SEAL. He wrote the book, How Leadership Really Works. And in that book, um, he talks about what you're talking about, how he you know, came out of the, the um, Navy SEALs, started this like consulting business, went nuts, was working, traveling, doing all this crazy stuff, had an imbalanced life, and then said to hell with it, and said, like, what is success? And, and I'm not done with the book yet, but I, but I, I, I'm about a third of the way through. And he says, what is success? Is success, uh, ex, is, is, is success, um, like, like, um, the word I'm, I'm at a loss for words, but essentially is it like achievement or, or a success, something different. And I think what I just heard you, what you're touching on is this idea that success is something different, which is what he says is success is, am I living the life that I want to live the way I want to live it on my own terms, right? With the, like, with the freedoms I need. Uh, am I able to do the things I want to do? Am I able to spend my time the way I want to? That's what success is, which I'd never heard someone actually say it in those words until I read his book. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and, and, and our, a mutual friend of ours, uh, you're friends with John Roman. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you front row dad? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm like an honorary front row dad. I'm not in the group, but I'm like, <laughs> I ask him an actual member if he's in it, and, and but I'm not. So, um, so. Roman and I were talking about this where he's like, where I, I, you know, I started this mastermind that I've been doing for this year around helping companies scale. And I said, well, we're doing events over the weekend. And I had somebody that was another front row dad who said he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be away from his family at all over the weekends. And I said to John, I said, you know, I don't know if I really want to do that. He said, well, why don't you change the way you do it so that none of the events are on the weekends. And I was like, shit, man, I'm so used to like, like not designing a business for exactly what I want and trying to like cater to clients. Cause my, and this is what Larry talked about in his book. He's like, I was doing everything that I thought the clients wanted and it wasn't necessarily optimizing for what I wanted. And, um, and so I started changing stuff. I was like, all right, we're only doing events during the week. And if people can't make it, then too bad, you know? Um, but yeah, what, what do you think? Like, like obviously you started with your first business it was a construction company, um, top 2,500 companies in the Inc. Uh, 5,000 sold the company, 
But were you, were you optimizing for life then? Because I'm assuming then if your kids are 22 now, that was 13 years ago, you got that award. I'm assuming the business was in place prior to that for a, a decade or so. Were you were you grinding? How, how was it? What was the name of that business, by the way? Uh, it was called Plumline Mechanical. Origi- uh, that was the original business. And then we branched into a lot of different things, um, you know, from there. But when you talk about optimizing, it, it's interesting just, you know, hearing you kind of say that. I've been, I've been uh, just watching when we talk about deconstructing. I've been kind of wrestling with this idea of, you know, I think that, and and some people would say this is semantics, but I really think that there's a big difference between being content and being satisfied. And that's hmm. the one thing that I've kind of realized, like, you know, when I talk to guys like you, I realize that you're not satisfied, you know, with, with, with what you currently have, um, you know, status quo, mediocre life. You're not satisfied with that, but that doesn't mean that you're not content with your life. You're not content with, you know, your, your, who you are as an individual and your family, et cetera. And so I think even though, again, some people would say that's semantics, I think that's one thing that I've always really understood and also, you know, one of my favorite books ever is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Mm, and he talks yeah. about big head discipline in there. And, you know, I read that as, a, as an early entrepreneur. And I'll tell you what, one of the things that I think really separated me, you know, I was a plumber by trade. I didn't go to college. I didn't have any business background. I was literally out of the field when we started the company. And we started growing, I mean, exponentially. We opened in June of 2004. And by the end of that year, we were doing seven figures already. We were over over a million dollars in revenue. I had like 20 employees. I mean, it was, it was chaos and I knew nothing about business. Like literally I was a plumber six months ago out in the field. And so the one thing that I learned early Darius was I, I've always been like, you know, there's that saying, if, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you need to find a bigger room. Well, I was catapulted into that. Like I had to find smarter people. So I've always hired the best consultants. I've always hired the, you know, the best. I didn't, I didn't have a choice but to hire coaches. And the thing that I did was I was so naive and young and just, I mean, I just had no business knowledge. I just did exactly what they told me. Mm. And that's the thing that I think really separated me. And so when we, again, back to the semantics around, you know, I was never satisfied Um, you know, and so your question was, was I grinding? Yeah, I was grinding, but I also was very cog, you know, I I had built buffers in and there was a mentor of mine that told me early on about a seven, seven, seven rule. So every seven days, make sure you have a day with your family. Every seven weeks, you take kind of like a mini vacation every seven months, you're taking a major vacation. So these are the kind of things that Kara and I always kind of prioritized, um, you know, we put vacations in the calendar first. We were always setting goals, even at a young age. And that's the kind of stuff that we prioritized. And so, yes, I was grinding and yes, I was working the business, but also, you know, I was very disciplined with hard stops and, and taking time off when, when we needed to take time off. And also I just refused to let that business suck me in. And, you know, there's this concept I coached with Dan Sullivan the, and, and Ben, him and Ben Hardy wrote the book, Who Not How. I realized mm-hmm. that at an early age, I didn't have the language around it, but that's one thing that I think I did from a really early age. I, we were growing so fast as a business that I just didn't have any choice, but to stack people around me left and right that were better, um, more experienced, more seasoned. Um, I hired educated people, you know, a a controller that went to business school. He had a master's in business. Like I had all these people that surrounded me that were like way smarter than I was. And I just let them do their job and I got out of their way. So yeah, I was grinding, but also, man, I built these buffers in and I just, I think we did a really good job of keeping family first. 
I love that, man. And that's, it's, it's great to hear. I can, uh, say without a shadow of a doubt that I did the opposite. Uh, and I did the exact same thing in the sense of, of finding smarter people and mentors and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, maybe it's more of like, uh, my own wiring. I, 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 I just was a workaholic. It, you know, I think that's been an addiction that I've, like some people are alcoholics. I'm a workaholic, right. Mm-hmm. right? Or I've, I, I have that that, that genetic predisposition. So this, this idea of taking time off was like, yeah, it sounds great. And I would do it, but, but I, I always put the business first. Also my business imploded when in 2007, cause I was a subprime mortgage lender. So when your business eats shit like that, like really, really, really implodes, it kind of changed. Like you don't really have the luxury, like you lose the luxury of time to like figure stuff out. You're kind of in survival mode. Right. So I had to dig myself out of that. It took me five years to dig myself out out of it. And then the next business was when I started doing the things you're talking about because I, I I was back on like for, like solid ground. So I do think that there's an element of survival versus success. And and when you know when you're surviving, you, like it's hard to be like seven day rule. You're like, dude, we're gonna go out of business. Like 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 taking time off is not necessarily a luxury I have at the moment. What do you think? Yeah. Of, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I've, I've also there, I kind of mentioned this, but there was two times where I really, one of them was 07. So going into 07, I had a, I had a gold mine. We were, we were doing, we did a lot of industrial piping and that kind of stuff. So when, when we say we had a construction company, yeah, it was construction, but we did a lot of industrial type work, pipelines, mill process work. We were doing a lot of work for this gold mine. And in 07, um, they literally went bankrupt. The EPA had slapped a bunch of fines on them and we were, we were billing like 150 K, um, a week. And, and then all of a sudden it got to the point where it was even more than that. And so when they, they literally put chains on the gate and they kicked all, everybody that was working off site one afternoon, they, they just ran out of money. Wow. They owed us about like $420,000 or something, which was a, a ton of money for us at that point in time. Plus we're going into 07, 08, things were not looking good for us. And, you know, I remember I was stressed out. I mean, like two weeks before Christmas, I laid off like 30 employees. There was oh, literally, um, yeah, it's horrible, man. And, and, you know, the thing that was like, you work so hard and, you know, I, I love, I love your book and the core values and, and, and the way that you teach like business growth. And the thing that's so challenging when you go through a period of time like that, we worked so hard to hire good humans and to build a culture. And, you know, and when you, when you look at 30 people, like two weeks before Christmas, and you look them in the eye and you have grown men that are crying and they didn't do anything wrong. Like, you know, it right. wasn't their fault. Like this is, I don't know. Could we have done things different? Yeah, sure. Maybe. But, but also like you work so hard to build these successful businesses and, 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 and build a, a great culture. And then all of a sudden you're looking these people in the, in the eye and having to lay them off. And I'll never forget going home and, and I was working, you know, seven days a week. We're trying to save our business and, and, you know, you're trying to figure out how to, keep revenue up and this, this gold mine owes us. I mean, basically it's half of our receivables and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And, and, you know, we're seeing our sales plummet overnight. And I, and I remember going home, I don't even know what day of the week it was, but I remember having a conversation with Kara. She's like, you're not yourself. Kara's my wife. You're not yourself. Like, you know, you really need to slow down. And, and I remember looking at her Darius and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like we could literally lose everything. I, yeah. we could lose our business. We could lose our house. Like we could, and, and I'll never forget, she looked at me as, you know, the supportive, um, awesome spouse that she is. And she was like, what are they going to do? You know, take our kids? Like, we're going <laughs> to get 
She literally said that to me. She's like, we're going to get through this just like we get through everything else. And that kind of like, that kind of just shook me a little bit and, and gave me like the, um, you know, I guess just the motivation that I needed to get through that. And I'll never forget, you know, calling a mentor in and we spent a day in a, in a boardroom and, and just kind of figured out a path to, to get this business turned around and, and we made it through it, man. And that's, you know, that's the thing at the end of the day, when, when you ask the question, you know, what do I think about that? And, and you started, we started off the conversation, but you know, everybody's always talking about the wins. We want to talk about, you know, the oh, exit yeah. that I had and, and all the real estate that I've built and how much passive income. And, you know, we get in groups like GoBundance and, and what I love about GoBundance is it's like, we got our one sheet and we're talking about our wins and victories, but also like having those places where we can have these authentic conversations and really have, you know, people like you that'll mine those conversations out of us because, man, I don't like having that conversation because it brings up, you know, really challenging times for me but also I've moved through it. And those are the things that people need. And so your question was, what do I think about that? Man, as an entrepreneur, you're going to get your ass handed to you left and right. And we need to, we need to know that, you know, there's people like Darius, there's people like me that have been through this, that, you know, we just need to hit it head on and we need to be honest about it and what's going on in, in front of us. And we're going to get out of balance. We're going to have these seasons where we have to work harder than other seasons. And it's just part of it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million-dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user 
for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. Yeah, I love it, man. It's funny. Um, the, the, you just reminded me of a quote, which is, I can't remember. I, I, I wonder, I, I got to figure out who this is from so I can give them credit every time I say it because they say it all the time, which is success has many fathers and, and uh, failure is an orphan. <laughs> you know, like people always want to talk about their wins and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, like, dude, tell me, tell me the shit. I want to hear the hard stuff because there's nothing to be half of people's wins is luck. <laughs> you know, like they have to work hard. Some people get lucky and don't work hard. I know people like that, but, yeah. but a lot of the wins, man, it's just like dumbass luck. Like you were just in the game. And, yeah. and, 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 and I think that's the challenge of staying in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether you turn that into some massive win or not, it's like half the time it's luck, half the time it's you're smarter than everybody else. But I don't know. Like, um, it's, 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 I think it's, it's having grit and perseverance to get through the tough times really shows you people's character when it comes to how they're going to get through, you know, let's talk about the next recession that's coming, right? Like how are people like everyone's kicked ass and taken names over the last 10 years. You know, if you've had a momentum in a business from 2012 to 2022, you know, with the exception, if you owned a hotel that went out of business during COVID, you probably did pretty well, you know? And, and, and so it's like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, good job. Like who did, when I hear these millennials on TikTok talking about how badass, how much money they spend on their bottles of wine, I'm like, go fuck yourself. Like I want to, let's talk in 2026, baby. (laughs) You know? So, I mean, yeah, I love what you're saying, man. It's like, it's like, that is where the true fortitude comes out. So you and your wife, you guys, you know, obviously got through that time. I think it was kind of cool. You know, like I I just had an epiphany while you were talking that I didn't have kids when my first business imploded. I didn't have my first kid till three years later, two, two and a half years later. And he was an infant. So like my, and, but kids change you because they change your priorities. Hopefully at least they didn't for me. What, what did you think? Do you, do you, do you think the kids played a big part of that? I mean, obviously you kind of are self-taught being, you know, given what you're talking about with your fam- your upbringing around, you know, you, you didn't have like a dad that was sitting there like, like my dad wasn't my best friend. Doesn't sound like your dad was your best friend. It's not like we had these like great dad role models on like how to be good husbands and, and dads. Like, what do you think did it for you? Was it kids, wife, combination thereof? You know, I think we can learn just as much from positive influence, like mentors, coaches, etc. We can learn just as much from negative ones. And so, you know, when I have a mirror, uh, like my father was, uh, it just, it gave me a very clear path of what I didn't want to be. So to answer your question, you know, I, I was, Karen, and I had this conversation before, long before we ever, it was not my goal to be a business owner first and foremost, like that kind mm. of happened. Like I, I had no intention of starting a business. The, the stars just kind of lined up and, and I got catapulted into it because, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason why we became business owners was because. Kara was pregnant with our third child. I'm 23 years old. So we started wow. having kids. Yet. I mean, we, we, we got married. Kara, I was, I was 20. Kara was 19 when we got married and Dylan literally showed up one year to the date after we got married. So like we went right to work having kids. And, and so I'm, I'm 23 years old. 
I'm working out of town for a company that I was working for called Snyder Mechanical. I'm, I, get, I get thrust into running this uh, casino expansion. The guy that I was working for got called to another job and my boss said, hey, just, just handle the job for a week or two. We'll get a supervisor over there. I wasn't ready to, I didn't feel like I was ready to run this job, but I ended up running this casino remodel. I'm working out of town. I'm literally working a hundred hours a week. I'm out of town seven days a week. I would, I would leave that job site at seven o'clock on Sunday night, I'd drive home three hours and, and I'd do the laundry. I'd have a cold dinner and we'd turn around and drive back to the job site at 3 a.m. Monday and we'd do it another week. So I'm, I'm literally missing the entire uh, third pregnancy. And, and Karen and I looked and we're like, this is not what we had planned. And I realized that like yeah. it was the exact opposite of freedom. And yeah. literally a couple things had kind of lined up where uh, me and another person that worked for that company, we left and started our own business. And I remember having this conversation. It was like, look, if we're going to work 90 or hundred hours a week, we might as well do it for ourselves. And yeah. I honestly thought starting that business that that's what entrepreneurship was going to be. But I quickly realized, and it was through, you know, back to the Chet Holmes thing, that pig headed discipline, you know, I, I put a podcast up on my, my podcast, investing for freedom a few weeks back. Most people can't handle freedom. Like most people literally can't handle freedom because, you know, when you get thrust into owning your own job or you have financial freedom or you're your own boss, most people can't handle that. And, and, and even with things like this, keeping that balance with family versus working too much, et cetera, there's nobody that there's nobody there that gets to tell you to stay and work more. Mm. And there's also nobody there that gets to tell you, Hey, stop and go home. So yeah. most entrepreneurs, I think, put their head down and what they do is they just keep grinding you know, they don't, they don't reinvent themselves. They don't get, figure out the concept of who, not how. I think the thing that Kara and I figured out early was, you know, who's going to decide whether I have my freedom or not. And Kara and I, as a couple decided that we wanted a certain lifestyle and I didn't want to be working a hundred hours a week. And so how do you do that? It's that pig headed discipline that Chet Holmes was talking about. And you just literally have to refuse to do certain things. And through coaches and mentors at a very early age, like I said, I was 24 when we started this company, I realized, you know, just leaning into the things that I'm really good at, the things that I'm not good at, the things that bring me energy, the things that didn't. Darius, there's only a couple, part of this is ego too, by the way. I think most of us think that we're really good at a lot of different things, man. There's only a few things that I'm actually really, really good at. And, and out, and I learned that at an early age. And so everything else, it was like, how do I find somebody to, to take this off of me? And I used to literally think about, this is going to sound stupid, but when Clark Kent comes running out of the phone booth and he's like changing, that's how yeah. I used to, I used to feel like just, you know, throwing roles and responsibilities off of me as an early entrepreneur. I figured that out early. And so I think it was lifestyle design that Kara and I, you know, really just having that conversation. And you were talking about kids. I didn't want to be the absent father, man. My dad was absent. He was MIA half the time. I didn't know where he was as a little guy. And what I realized as a father you know, Brian Tracy said this and it hit me between the eyes again at an early age. He was talking about, you know, he never had conversations with somebody that on their deathbed said, I wish I wouldn't have spent that much time with my children. And so it was yeah. those kind of things that, you know, conversations and, and just really designing that life that I realized nobody's going to do it for me, man. And that's where I say most people can't handle freedom because of that. And I talk to people all the time, whether it's front row dads or go abundance or people in our couples mastermind, et cetera. And we have all the excuses in the world as to why we have to work more hours or why we have to be there or, you know, why I'm in this season of, you know, I, I can't be home for dinners. They're all just excuses. It's not that you can't, 
It's that you're, 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 you're choosing the priority. You choose to do that. And, and by the way, if that's what you need to do, do it, but don't make excuses around it. You're just lying to yourself at the end of the day. And I refuse to do that. It's not that I never got out of balance, but Kara does a pretty good job of bringing me back in. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. I think, um, did we talk about this on, was I on your podcast that we talked about this where we talked about picking a good partner? Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think, so. I think it was where I said my wife's a fucking badass, right? Yeah. Right. Um, to your, to your point. So, so what do you, yeah, what do you like, obviously you, you, it sounds like you feel like you've done a good job picking a good partner to kind of keep you in check. What, what do you think about that? Like, I'll, I'll turn the question the, back on you. Like, what do you think, how do you feel about partnership choice, partner choice when it comes to designing a life? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And, you know, Kara and I, we run a couples mastermind and, but by the way, it's probably of all the things we do, it's definitely not the one that, you know, brings us the most money or, or anything else, but it's probably when we talk about leaning into our gifts and the things we love, it's probably one of the things that I love the most. And Kara and I say this all the time, one plus one can equal a hundred. So mm. when you're aligned with the right partner and we're plowing the right direction, um, man, it's so much better than it. And here's the thing, that decision that you'll make, Naval Ravikant says, you know, and, and I think he's one of the wisest people in the him. world. Yeah, me too. And in his uh, book, The Almanac, you know, he says in there, in the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, he says, the most important decision you'll ever make in life and in business is the partner that you marry. Yeah. And man, there's so much truth to that. And, you know, if you're already married and you feel like you've made the wrong decision, it's a challenging thing. And also if you're not married yet, there's enough pressure already in the world and people have such a hard time finding that right, right spouse. But man, the partner that you decide to marry and spend the rest of your life with, I agree with you. And, and, and I, I think that that's what has made, you know, my life so much easier is having picked the right partner the, a lot of people ask us like, you know, Karen, I've been married for 23, almost 24 years. And, you know, you'll get the, that question all the time. Like, what's the secret? Well, the secret is picking the right partner because mm -hmm. we hardly ever fight. We have conversations. We don't agree on everything, but we hardly ever have like, we hardly ever have fights. It's conversations, it's discussions. And, and I think it's because, you know, we, we picked the right part. It took me a long time to figure that out too. I thought I was just lucky or maybe, you know, she, it's cause she's so easy to get along with or whatever, but man, one of my mentors always says, if two partners have the same strength, one of them's not needed. And he was talking about business partners, but if you bring that back into the marriage and, and that lifelong partnership, I don't think there's a more important decision you'll ever make. What do you think? Like, so, so go diving down that, that road a little bit. Um, if you were to name like the top three character traits that your wife has, that makes her a good partner for you, that you, what are they? And were you aware of them when you decide you want to marry her? You know, I, I feel like from a business perspective, you know, we do a lot of personality tests when we're hiring and matching, you know, supervisors with, we need to come up with some tests and maybe they exist where we can kind of mine this out. Cause it's such a great question. And I think, you know, some of Kara's top characteristics, I mean, first and foremost, she is probably one of the most loving humans I literally have ever met. I mean, she has such a love for, uh, you know, her children, for me, for everybody around her. So, you know, just that love that she has for um, humans, I think first and foremost is, is probably, you know, the number one trait. 
Um, number two, man, she's so wise. Um, she's one of those, I, I love that there's a scripture in the Bible that says, it talks about being slow to speak and quick to listen. And man, that's her, that just nails her. Um, Mm. she has so much wisdom to give and to offer, but the thing about, you know, there's that old saying that, um, this was before my time, but, uh, it, it was a company, I guess. And it always said when EF Hutton speaks, people listen. I guess it was an old investment company or something. And that's kind of how I feel about Kara. She doesn't, she doesn't talk a lot. Um, but when, man, when Kara's, when Kara's saying something like I'm, I'm listening and you know, my, my kids are the same way. Um, people around her, you can just see it. So she's so wise. So I think that that would be the second thing. And then probably the third thing, um, and hear me out on this. Like she's, she's a very, very attractive human. I don't mean just physically, like she's, she's very attractive. You just want to, you want to know what she's thinking. You want to know what she's about. She kind of, she kind of just brings you into her world. So I would say those three things, that's probably the the three things with her. And, and were you, when, when you were like dating her or deciding that you wanted to like propose to her, were you thinking these are really important attributes for me to have in a partner or or like, did you have any thought around that or no? No, you know, that's the thing. Uh, I love Steve Jobs quote, you know, it's easy to connect the dots backwards. I mean, for us to have this conversation now, 23 years later is somewhat easy, but man, the first time that I really met her, I knew I was going to marry this girl. I even told one of my friends that, and, um, but I didn't know why, you know, I, I, I'm not a very Mm. methodical person, actually. I'm, I'm a visionary. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time. I'm, I'm the guy that'll jump in and then think about it later. And so that was kind of the case with us too. I, I, I didn't think about any of that. I was so young and, you know, I'm just doing the next right thing always. No, yeah, well, you were like teenagers. So, so, but, but it, that, that's funny. I, you know, it's funny with my wife. I actually did look at, I mean, I was a little older. I was almost 30 when we got married. It's 29. So I did, there was some traits where I'm like, Oh, this is, these are important traits for a partner. She's mm-hmm. like there when I, when things are hard, she's, um, a, a person that takes care of people, right? Like that, and not to say that can be negative too, if someone's too much of a caretaker, but, but I, I saw her taking care of people when they were going through really hardship. And I was like, Oh, that's a really big quality for someone who's going to be married to an entrepreneur. Um, just, just someone that puts others before herself, probably to a fault where I'm trying to get her to do less of it now. But, but I was like, Oh, these are, this is, this is marriage material, <laughs> you know? And, and, and dude, listen, man, it worked out. It was, and we talked about it on your show where I was like, look, there was, times where I was in destitute and like not necessarily financially psychological destitute. And my wife was there to like, like to carry the weight. So I do, th- I do think that that to your point, like marrying a good partner is, and to Naval's point, I'm a huge fan of Naval Ravikant. If you have not read the book, the Almanac Naval Ravikant, you're a moron. You need to go read it. It's the, like one of the best books out there. Um, I, I'd love to, you know, switch gears a little bit. Um, you, know, you call yourself a freedom fighter. What do you mean by that? I could like, like to tell us more about that. <laughs> you know, it's funny because one of my marketing guys came up with that and I, I don't know that I've ever really loved it, but, but I let it stick because honestly it, it, it feels kind of like, um, I don't know, superhero. I'm not a big, uh, I, I'm not a big superhero movie type thing, but freedom fighter, you know, for me, I, I don't think there's anything more important than people getting clarity on what they actually really want out of life. And I don't think people spend enough time thinking about that. And so, you know, I actually think that literally people, I I was talking to somebody about this earlier today 
And the idea of career doesn't really exist like it did, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. People think more in terms of job now, but to, you know, say, Hey, I'm a career, you know, I'm going to be a, a mortgage person for the rest of my life, or, you know, I'm going to be a plumber for the, that's, that's very rare in this day and age. And so I think really getting clarity on, you know, what do you want your life to look like? What do you really want your day-to-day life to look like and designing that? What does freedom mean to you? And this is why I started investing for freedom because I think we need to have more conversations around what does it look like and designing life the way we want it to look. And then realizing that money and our career and our businesses and all of that is, is just the vehicle to get us there. And so for me, I think just asking the question, you know, like what does freedom mean to you is such an important question because I don't think we're programmed or trained from an early age to even think about that. We're trained to go to school, you know, get a job, go to college, work for the man, just do what we're told. Most people are like zombies walking through their life. And the minute somebody has that awakening mm-hmm. and they're like, man, what am I doing? And I want something more. That's what like really lights me up. And so honestly, I'd spend the rest of my life um, doing this for free. If, if, if I could just, you know, once a day, see somebody's awakening, because the reality is we can be anything we want to be. There's jobs galore. I mean, you can see it left and right. Everybody's hiring. There's not enough people. We don't need more jobs. We don't need to make more money. We need to really design our life and see what freedom really means and looks like for us. And really at the end of the day, man, I think this is so simple and I think we overcomplicate it. What do we really want? We want to be around people that we like and love and have fun and enjoy our lives. And yet we spend, you know, 50, 60 years around people, seven, eight, 10 hours a day that we don't get to choose to be around. We don't get to decide who they are. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but I want to design my life a certain way. I want to decide who I get to be around. I want to um, decide what kind of energy I get to be in. And I want to help other people do that. So to me, that's what freedom fighting really comes down to. So, you know, going back to the business, so you had this construction company, you ended up selling it, exiting it, and then you got into the real estate. Were you doing real estate then too? Or what led, because I feel like it's interesting when I look at my friends who have designed the, the best lifestyles for themselves, it's almost, I mean, w- without question, there's a large real estate component. And I think that, the, look, we've just had a 10-year run of real estate crushing it, right? We'll see what the next 10 years do. But but so so that's created a lot of opportunity because real estate's gone up a lot in value and rents have gone up and people have created these income, passive income flows through real estate. Um, sounds like you were doing it before, though. You've always been kind of a designer of life. You were talking about designing your business. Uh, was that the precipice for you to start moving down this road of designing for freedom? Or was it like, oh, I did it in my business. Hey, how can I create income? Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. And I think this is actually really important. And I think your audience will probably like this. So I'm glad we're going here and kind of end on this note. So it, it was the same coaching company. You know, I started my plumbing and heating company, didn't know what was going on. This was probably 2005. So maybe a year into starting it. I went to an annual planning event. It was called Profit Launch and it was a three-day event. And oddly enough, like I'm working with this company again because we're getting ready to roll up HVAC companies in our private equity group. And so I'm working with the same company that I started working with in 2005. So I go to this three-day planning event called Profit Launch. And the entire, so they made us do this workbook ahead of time. So we worked on this workbook for like a month, all the financials and just, it was a one-year business planning event. 
So my coach says from stage in day one, the entire first day in the first part of the workbook was all about your personal goals and what you wanted life to look like. And this was the first time as an adult that I really sat down with Kara and design, started designing what we were talking about. Like, what does freedom look like to you? What does life look like? My coach was speaking from stage and he said, if your business isn't helping you achieve your personal goals, you just own a job. And that hit mm. me square between the eyes because like th this was like the road that I was on. I'm like the entire reason why you know, I quit this job was to like own my freedom. And there's that saying entrepreneurs are the only people in the world that'll quit a 40 hour a week job, you know, making hundred K a year to go make 40,000 and, and work 80 hours. And there's some truth to that. Um, but also there's a way for us to figure out a better way to do it. And so when he made that comment, one of the goals that Kara and I set, because, you know, I'm, I'm 25 years old, probably at this point, And I'm thinking, where my brain was at that point in time, I was thinking that I would be 65, 70 years old, still working in this plumbing and HVAC business. I didn't, I didn't really envision yet this life that I've built today. And so Karen, and I set a goal of buying two income producing properties, single family properties a year for 10 years. So we thought if we could get 20 single family properties and then pay them off over the course of 30 years, by the time I'm 50 or 60, I'd have 20 rentals and that would be part of my retirement. So mm -hmm. I came back that um, from that event. And we bought two single families that first year. Well, then through a series of events, which I don't have the time to go into, but a mobile home park deal fell in my lap. This was a, a community that we were doing a whole bunch of work in as a plumbing and heating company. And it was a fire sale type situation. I didn't know anything about mobile home parks. I went to a mentor of mine. He was a hard money lender as well. I borrowed the down payment. I assumed a first position note. I bought my first mobile home park. So instead of, you know, my goal was two single family properties to get to 20, in year two, that first year we bought two single families, but in year two, I bought a 72 space mobile home park. And this was kind wow. of like my, this was like my aha moment. And I bought that with no money down. I borrowed the down payment from a hard money lender and I assumed a first position loan. And then all of a sudden, I mean, that property cash flowed from day one, Darius. And I bought it for 470,000, I think was the total number. And, you know, I sold it a couple of years ago for 1.65 million, but that kind of wow. like opened my eyes and it cash flowed the entire time. I didn't know anything about mobile home parks. And, you know, you have these stories where people are very methodical. Like you were asking me the question, you know, was I methodical about Kara? No. And I also wasn't methodical about getting into mobile home parks. It just like fell in my lap. And I think that's one of the things you, you, you mentioned this earlier. A lot of it has to do with luck, right? But also one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan, always says that the eyes only see and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. Mm. So when we started thinking about passive income and we started thinking about you know, money and revenue outside of our business, opportunities started coming. And one of my early real estate mentors, Dolph DeRusso, always said the deal of the decade comes along every week. You're just not looking for it. Most of us mm. miss it. And so I think the important part with all of this, and, and I'll say this real quick, Kara and I went on to buy... Um, so while owning the plumbing and heating business, we bought like four or five other businesses along the way. I bought a cabinet shop. I bought a paint store. I ended up getting a general contractor's license. So we built all these other businesses, but also we bought five mobile home parks. We ended up buying three commercial buildings and we ended up buying 45 single families along the way. And, and so by the time I sold my business in 2014, we had a pretty good real estate portfolio. And then I just kind of shifted away from business. I was so burnt out on running businesses and and all of that, that I just kind of shifted over into real estate. But here's the thing that I want to say that I think is really important. And you've said this a couple of times, anybody who's invested in real estate in the last 10 or 12 years looks like a genius, right? The thing that I've realized, and this is what I think most people need to be careful with, people, 
people listen to a lot of people like me who have bought real estate and have done well with real estate, but real estate was a passive thing for me for a long time. I had a team running it. Um, it was a side thing. It wasn't my main business. And I think where people go wrong, they quit their job or they want to shut their business down and they want to go full-time into real estate because they think it's easy money. Mm. And the thing that I'm going to challenge the audience and the listeners that I always say, generate more money, which is through your business, through your W2 job, whatever that is, take that money and invest it in cash flowing assets, which I think real estate just happens to be a really good asset class. And that's how we generate wealth. So create more money, invest it in cash flowing assets, and that's what generates wealth. And so when you're talking about, you know, most of your friends that have done pretty well in real estate, most of them probably have done pretty well in business and then invested a lot of that into real estate. And I think that's where we go wrong. And I think people think that real estate is just going to be really easy. And what it is, if you go into full-time real estate, you're just, it's just another business. It just right. so happens that instead of plumbing being the product, real estate is now the product. And you still have to build a business. You still have to build a team. You still have to hire employees. You still have to have vendors. So I'll leave it at that. I love that, man. And I love, and, and, and I know that like probably for a lot of podcasts, they want to just hear all about the the real estate stuff, but greatness of she's about being a great human being. And, and, and I want to hear the whole story. Um, I want to, I want to pivot. We got about nine minutes left in the show. Um, you know, the world's been turned up is being turned upside down as we speak. I saw, uh, was, who's it? Um, Paul, John Paul, Paul Tudor Jones, his name, John, I'm, I'm messing up his name right now. Um, famous in, in investor. And he's saying he thinks that the 2020s are going to be the opposite of the 2010s when it comes to cheap money. Um, and that, you know, and, and obviously that, that the, that we had this great experiment with the fed lowering rates, which created all this like, you know, wealth creation because all this money came into the system and that he thinks the opposite is going to happen. Who the hell really knows it's going to happen, but, but there's, you know, we're seeing the fed do it right now. What do you, when you start looking at, you know, you know, living a life of freedom and generating wealth and, you know, enjoying the next 10 years. I mean, I know you've, I don't want to say made it cause you probably don't think you've made it, but, but you know, you're at a point now where you have terminal velocity probably from the standpoint of how you spend your time, but how do you, how, how are you wanting to create, I guess, value in the world over the next decade? What do you, what, where, where do you have your eyes set from a investment standpoint, professional standpoint, you talked about private equity roll-ups. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. At the end of the day, like, um, and, and I'm not, this isn't like a, a humble brag type thing. I'm, I'm not really that, <laughs> I'm not really that smart. I'm not that educated and I've done well. And I, I just try to condense things down and keep them simple. Like what can I control? What can I not control? And so when you talk about the great mach greatness machine and, and making an impact and the thing that I just keep trying to come back to is like, what do I know for sure? Or what do at least I do I think I know for sure? And at the end of the day, people are going to need housing. I'm looking at like even back to the HVAC stuff. Um, no matter how bad it gets, people need air conditioning. People need housing. I think if you bring this back, the first podcast that I was ever on, um, he called it Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And he was talking about, because I'm invested in the mobile home park space, and he was talking about solving you know the basic human need, which is food, water, shelter. And so I think when we come back down to the simple side of it, I'm not going to get into some big macro. In fact, I, I listened to your podcast with uh, your mortgage buddy a while back and it was a, it was a good one. 
I don't really think that, by the way, I can have conversations in macro. So I, I, I learn from a lot of people, but I just try to bring it back down to the simplest form. And so for me, it's like, I, I said this to Mike Chu's group. I was speaking to Mike Chu's group a while back. I don't know if you know Mike, but he's a great human. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I said to him was, and I kind of jokingly said this, but there's some truth to it. I keep hearing about this recession and I just refuse to participate. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that it's not real or that things aren't actually happening or that we might not have some challenging times ahead of us. But the reality is if we face an implosion, like some kind of nuclear meltdown or literally nuclear war of some sort, man, we're all screwed anyway. (laughs) Um, So I just try to like narrow this down to like, I mean, even from a government perspective and housing and, you know, I keep looking at this because we still, we, we got up to 35 mobile home park communities with our investment group and we've sold a lot of those. So we're down to like 19 and I really want to sell the rest of them in the next couple of years. But when I even think about that and we think about affordable housing, there is such a housing problem. And so yes, mortgage rates are through the roof and I don't know if they're coming down anytime soon. And I don't know if we're going to have a housing price implosion or not, but the reality is I, I, we have a housing problem any, any way we look at it. And so when I think about affordable housing or I think about businesses that we want to start or invest in, et cetera, I'm just looking at businesses that no matter what are needed, they're crucial, they're critical, they're non-optional. People need water, people need plumbing, people need heating, air conditioning, people need food. People, it's back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic yeah. human needs. And I think, you know, there's these moonshots where maybe we take a certain portion of our time and our money and our energy and we invest it in some of the, you know, the, the, the top of the echelon stuff that are these moonshot type things. And I know you guys love talking about a lot of those. For me, that's probably 10 or 15% of my portfolio. Honestly, I want to invest in boring old businesses like HVAC companies, like affordable housing. The government really showed their hand through COVID. Um, you know, they kind of, there was a lot of things that we can really learn on how the government played that out. I don't think that the government is going to force landlords to forgive rents again. I think the government is going to, um, incentivize landlords to provide housing by paying for people's rents. And so when we just start Mm. kind of simplifying that again, boring old businesses that everybody needs on a daily basis, that's what I'm looking at. Because again, at the end of the day, if we have a meltdown, we're all screwed anyway. I love it, man. So um, r- to wrap things up, um, you have the Investing uh, for Freedom podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I know that, I mean, I, I love listening to different episodes of it, but but yeah, tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing with that. And then um, we'll, we'll get you out of here. The Investing for Freedom podcast is kind of, um, you know, selfishly, I, I have, so two episodes a week, Monday is just me. Thursdays is always a guest. I have amazing humans like you on. And selfishly, I love it because you can't have a 45 minute or a one hour conversation with somebody and not learn a ton about them and just build a deeper relationship. For me, at the end of the day, authenticity and connection is probably the most important part of all of it. And so, you know, I just bring people on and we're not so much getting into the tactics of, you know, the 15 steps on how they made their money, but more about like what drives them? What does freedom mean to you? How did you do it? Um, so we kind of just kind of deconstruct the human element of that at investing for freedom. I love it, man. So for people that want to learn more about the stuff you're working on, is there anything else that you're, that you're working on and you're working on a ton of stuff, but is there anything else you want to promote to our audience in the event that they want to uh, learn more about you? Man, 
the podcast is probably the best place to to find me. And and I have a I have a real estate course that that we did live and then we started selling it. But honestly, if anybody in your audience wants it, they can have it for free. Um, I'll just this is the first time we're you know giving it away. But I would just give that real estate course away to anybody that wants it if they just want to um, text the word real estate to four eight zero five three one seven five one nine. They literally can have nine weeks of real estate education on it's, it's free and it usually sells for 500. That's awesome, man. I want to check that out. I want to talk to you more about real estate. So, um, we're both here in Austin, man. Um, I want us to hook up and I want to talk to you more about some of the business stuff you're doing and the real estate stuff. And who knows, man, maybe we can do some stuff together. That'd be fun. Let's do it. If if you're game, I'm game. I'm game. I'm game. Uh, All right. But dude, two good humans trying to make the world a better place. Uh, <laughs> man, Mike, so much fun, man, having you on the show. Um, so much gratitude learning from you. And, you know, dude, you're such a, you're, you have a great heart and you've done so many cool things in business and, and just done it in such an interesting way, man. I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to uh, seeing you get to like 10 million downloads. I'm, I'm watching. Uh. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to make it happen. Um, guys, so check out Mike. I know, look, look, the average podcast listener listens to six shows. Uh, you got to check out our, our, our show here, investing for freedom. And also on social, uh, I know you have a great social profile. What's the best way to find you on social? Probably Instagram at the Mike Ayala. I've been trying to get Mike Ayala forever. So can't it's at the Mike Ayala. Yeah. So check out at the Mike Ayala. I love your socials. So check that out. Check out the podcast and Mike so much, so much gratitude, man. Peace out. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, sir. All right, y'all. Uh, you guys, if you like the show, share it with your friends, give us a review and, uh, till next time we love you. Peace. You are listening to the greatness machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. 
I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.